Video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when you Hello, want to watch it. Hello, my name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast, where you go through all this week's new Blu-rays and DVDs. And by that, I mean most notable Blu-rays and DVDs. Yes. Lots, uh, lots of notable titles on this list. And let's start with Rogue Cops and Racketeers from Arrow Video. Guess what? You get to buy another box set. Yeah. How many times have we talked about Arrow box sets? I mean, they found that people buy them and they make them look nice and so they'll keep selling them and these are two films directed by enzo g j castellari g j is g i think it's g yeah i think it's a big old g the director of the original inglorious bastards and one of the best italian action directors out there and these are two of his crime films that have been released a bunch of times in north america i have the dvds yeah but not on blu-ray right no i know but where's his movie high crime why did not that one ever come out i don't know maybe it's just easier for them to get these like you maybe know? somebody has the master or something like that yeah there's a franco nero crime film it was one of the first ones that he did that never came out i wonder if they just don't have a negative or a print like it must just be something like that it's usually some simple explanation like but that. But on this box set arrow, you know, they go there, uh, you know, extra mile like they usually do on these things where there's like a new interview with the director. Always lots of stuff. And this comes hot on the heels of their Years of Lead box set from last year, which... Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, let's just put out whatever Euro crimes we have into a box set. Justin will buy which it. Which sold so well for us, though. Man, that set was a huge seller. That was probably one of our best-selling Arrow sets of last and year. And do people, like, if they don't like the movies, because sometimes it has a lot of, you know, uh, mediocre films. Films, and that's why they're boxed up in a set. Are they burned by that? I gotta say, I was burned by Kino box sets. I'm like, no more. I think these Arrow box sets do act as like a gateway for some people to get into these films. Because I remember when Years of Lead came out and a lot of people I talked to buying them were a lot of younger film fans who didn't really have a lot of experience with Euro crime films at all. And it was just kind of like, oh, wow, this seems like, like I'm excited to delve into this. This seems like a good place to start. <laughs> and they never came back. Yeah, I know. And then we never heard from them again. No, but I heard from a lot of people that they enjoyed those films. But I feel like, yeah, if you're more of a Eurocrime connoisseur, maybe this isn't, you know, going to do it for you as much. Right, because it had Colt 38 Special Squad, which is fine. It had uh, Savage 3, which I don't remember if I watched or not, and Highway Racer, which is, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> and No Case is Happily Resolved, which I haven't seen, so maybe it's I great. I mean, there were those, like, in terms of, like, a real good primer for Eurocrime, you know, Raro Video did those great Fernando de Leo sets. Yeah, that was a while back. God, like a decade ago now. But at that time, I think that was kind of my entryway into Eurocrime, because at that point, I hadn't really seen a lot of them and then i just kind of blind bought those sets when they came out my entryway is definitely these enzo g castellari films that we're talking about now the heroin busters and the big racket yeah the heroin busters has one of the best pieces of goblin score ever in it it's like i actually have a one of my rare record store day purchases was the soundtrack of that Ooh, very cool yeah and my I mean, soundtrack is like the two tracks in the movie right you can always count on goblin for a banging soundtrack that's for sure by banging soundtrack we mean one one song usually that's all they get in italian just film. one song yeah just one riff over and over again. moving on we're still staying in the euro crime ish realm and speaking of fernando de leo i actually compared the film the mob released by Canadian and 
international pictures of the kind of films that he made. So I never got around to checking this one out, but I was very interested. And I know you did. You did your duty. And we talked a lot, a little bit about this director, Jacques Godbout, when the other French New Wave set came out because he had a film on that. I believe off the mic, I was like, I, I don't think people are familiar with this director that much. <laughs> I think we were talking about how they were crediting him as like a really influential Quebecois director. And you're like, I don't think anybody knows But him. you know what? I'm not Quebecois, so maybe I am disconnected from the, you know, what everybody knows. And so when this one came out, I was like, I have never heard of this movie before. And I have a reason for that. <laughs> Where I did some deep, deep digging yesterday, and I was like, the mom, I've never heard of this movie before. It's because its Quebec title is La Gamique. Now, in the movie, I believe they use Gamique as slang for the mob. So it could be a translation of it, but I've also seen the film translated as The Gimmick. And, and I went to the source for this, the book A Century of Canadian Cinema, which is from the 90s. And Did some hard research for it this It is episode. reviewed in that book. And the title of the film in that book is The Swindle in English. Ah, yeah. See, that's why. Because I was searching for it on the NFB site to, to try and watch in advance because I just figured all these Canadian international pictures were on there. Because this is an NFB film. And I couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> it's because it's under the title La Gamique on the NFB website. But it is up there. You have to have like a membership. I've never seen this before on the NFB website. Weird, right? Because, yeah, I'm just used to watching stuff for free. <laughs> so this continues Canadian International Pictures. It's weird that the company, like when they were doing interviews, they didn't come outright and say, like, we have a partnership with the NFB and all of our films are going to be NFB films. Yeah, they don't really mention that connection at all, right? It's just like, hey, we're just putting out Canadian films. Because they said something in an interview, which like, we don't want to say, you know, what our upcoming films are, because we don't want anyone to steal them. And it's like, but they're all NFB films. Like, no one's going to release these if you have a deal with the Weird. NFB. I don't know. Maybe it's just like, they're just playing a u.s audiences that are like don't know or care what the nfb is the nfb is credited like on the box and stuff like that but it's not as present as i thought it was going to be considering that like that is their main partnership there's three releases they have put out of all been nfb films maybe it'll change but i know they said they were going to do devil at your heels so mm -hmm. yeah it'll be interesting to see i mean we've talked about every single one of these releases so far they're all pretty great i mean i haven't gotten around to this one yet but i'm interested i'm interested to see where they keep going with this line i continue to believe that the nfb has a rule that they are not allowed to produce new special features because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. at this point it feels like like what's going on like there's excellent booklets that come with every disc but there's no video feature hits the mob has like a 90 minute trailer reel of canadian crime films which is really cool and that seems going the extra mile but why isn't there like anything else it's weird weird you think again they could get say this tons every time. of canadian experts canadian film experts uh to get on there or even like this quebecois film there's tons of quebecois experts as well that could speak to this but yeah i don't know man it's just like i just want to know more like this director he's mostly known for documentaries more uh more than anything else like short subjects yeah. oh yeah but uh did you watch this film? It sounded really interesting from just the plots. And I did watch it. So it's about a guy who commits a hit in America, comes back, uh, pockets loaded with cash, and he gets too hot. So the people that he works for in Canada come after him, as well as American hitmen. But it's not an action film by any stretch of the imagination, because what ends up happening is the guy calls up a radio station, just starts laying it out all the Canadian secrets of the mob to a uh, disc jockey. That sounds very cool. Very cool. It's like talk radio mixed with... A little bit, yeah. And it's Hosercore cinema, so of course it has a fatalistic ending where everybody loses. Because that's the way you go in Canadian cinema. I would have it no other way. So moving on, we have 
have the whistle at Eaton Falls. Now, I pricked up when I saw this one because I was like, pricked ooh, up, a eh? lost. Yeah, yeah. Pricked I got right out. <laughs> I know how you feel about those Flicker Alley releases, Justin. Uh, another one that's like, hey, we got another Flicker Alley one. I'm like, hey, wait, what? I didn't hear about this. What's going on? This is Flicker Fusion, whatever that means. Yeah, this is this is weird. So this is their offshoot label. I mean, it's still Flicker Alley, but it's Wait, like... Wait, it's their second release, too. What was their first yeah, one? Yeah, it was... Uh, I'm blanking. We had it in a little while ago, but they're like... I don't know. I mean, you have the edition. Are the special features abundant on it? I feel like there's a little less on these, but maybe not. No, there's more, or actually pretty much the same amount, to be they're honest. They're a little lower priced, which is interesting, uh, and their packaging is no, a weren't. little... they were like, this was like 40 bucks. Oh, but the other ones, like those um, Beast Must Die and Bitter Stems, they go for more like 50, 60 I'm bucks. I'm trying to look so. Flicker Fusion, and I can't see the other one on here. It was the Francis X. Bushman collection, or this is Francis X. Bushman. Right, yeah. So they started this offshoot yeah last year i guess and did a few releases but i'm not sure why they're you know labeling it flicker fusion and not just flicker alley i mean maybe flicker alley they're more concentrated on noir stuff and i mean they're mostly concentrated on noir stuff but they do some foreign stuff like that julian duvivier box I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that you're right, that what it is is lesser known rarities in archival restorations to light. But that's like all their releases. But that's all their stuff, right? Like, I just don't know why there would be that separation. It's for tax reasons. I don't know. I wonder, like, is it uh, at first when they brought it out, I thought it might be like uh, an MOD line that they were doing. It's not, though, right? Like, it is a press. pressed it, And we can return them to our suppliers, unlike most MODs, which are kind of one-way sales. So The Whistle at Eaton Falls. I got uh, interested because it was a lost film for a while. Eh, you could find it if you went looking, but never got an official home video release. And it starred Lloyd Bridges, the excellent star of such films as Airplanes and Mafia. Yeah, and Hot and Shots. Hot Shots. <laughs> it also was about labor stuff. And I was like, ooh. Yeah. And supposedly that's why it was buried for a long time. And it was also directed by Robert Siodmak. It was, it, I think it was like one of his penultimate films films because it was yeah, i believe so uh you know he's a noir expert and so i popped the movie in and was not a fan because this is a film about hey guess what guys bosses have it hard <sighs> too it's one of those bosses things, have eh? issues as well i don't care about bosses unions can easily be tricked by hucksters and work against their interests Boo! <laughs> yeah, see, I thought it was going to be more interesting than that when I read the back. So I think one of the reasons that like uh, some people did a restoration of it is that it's a film that was produced by like a famed guy that had stuff with documentaries. Like he is one of the guys who invented news on the march and he produced this film. It bums me out, man. Like <laughs> I just hate, especially in this day and age, like I'm just so over it. Like... God, in an age where it's like, you know, governments are like, you know, business owners, they need our help, too. It's like, what about the regular people? All right. Because like what the movie's about is that a big factory that's like the heart of a town is going to have to either fire all of its workers or close down until it recoups uh, money. And when the boss dies, the one of the labor union guys is played by Lloyd Bridges is made the head of the company. And he realizes, oh, this is not as easy as it looks being a boss. And he will have to close down because. Because the age of mechanization is coming and he does it and everybody turns against him and they're like, you're, you know, you're stabbing the old union guy. And but thankfully, through innovation, Lloyd Bridges finds a way that he can keep everybody working. But 
the union wants to turn against him to the point that the union even commits manslaughter against a guy who's trying to defend the good name of his boss. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a different time. A different time. Right there. I mean, they still make those movies now. Well, you know, Flickr Alley, they've got a good thing going because we've sold a ton of these so far. I mean, so... like I said, I buy race to buy it with all that promise. Well, it's... that's the thing. I think a lot of people are just like you and see these releases and just buy it you know whatever like a new Flickr alley release it's like sure gotta have my hands i mean on it's it. a historical i guess of historical interest i think i think it's worth preserving so moving on we have heavy metal two movie collection um yeah you're a big fan of heavy metal 2k you know what i put this on here because i watched the first heavy metal for the first time ever this week uh because you know the list was a little short and i'm like i gotta watch something here uh, I'd never seen either of these movies. I'm surprised you didn't watch the 2K one, because that one is real bad. I remember when I was a kid, you know... Oh, you... it was advertised the hell out of it. Yeah, I was just getting into movies, and I just remember Heavy Metal 2000 being advertised everywhere. And thinking, at the time, this looks really cool. This is like the best movie ever made. And I don't even think I was aware of like the original Heavy Metal at that time or anything. I don't think I've seen Heavy Metal 2K, to be honest, either. You've seen the first one, though, I assume, right? Oh, yeah, I've seen the first one. Okay, so the first... First one is a movie that I've watched it a couple times. Every time I watch it, I'm like, how can this not be fun? And every time I watch it, I'm like, this is so boring. Yeah, I feel the same way. I appreciate them, like what the vibe is trying to be. And yet I just don't find it that engaging. And I also feel like it's pretty much just like animated porn for like teenagers look at her get dressed so slow yeah, like if i was a teenager i probably would have loved this movie but like yeah as an adult i'm just like this is just like porn for teenagers basically i appreciate the style of the art well every story is like they try really hard to make it look like the original work that it was based on so like richard corbin uh his art is recreated in the naked john candy segment john candy is the weirdest voice for casting for that yeah right? it is i mean this was a full-on canadian slash british production it was so. i always kind of forget that but it is full-on canadian because ivan reitman had to step in and be very involved there's an excellent book which i believe is read in one of the special features of this about the making of heavy metal that i would highly recommend and is more interesting than the movie itself and how like difficult the production was and did like how many alternate stuff there was but come on man i don't need to watch like a guy um you know go down in a <laughs> spaceship for i know it's just so much like sex fantasy you know it's just so much teen sex fantasy or like there, there's the one what is it called it's like it's like soft confusion or something like that where it's just like a bunch of aliens do coke and then like <laughs> that's it <laughs> i mean again if i was like as a stone teenager probably would have loved the hell out of this movie you know watching it now i can appreciate yeah i think i appreciate the art and kind of what it stood for maybe at the time but i just don't know if it's aged very well but you know having said that i totally get why this is like a huge cult classic and this new set is uh well your favorite a steel book which is you know i know you're all about and uh i'm just stone faced people can't see me right now <laughs> I have to say too, you've been you've talked in the past about how flimsy these steel books are. When we got this shipment in, there were a whole bunch of them that are dented all over the place. <laughs> I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often. It is a, a 4K UHD release for the first movie. This uh, 2000 is just presented in Blu-ray for the first time. Uh, but I, you know, obviously don't have a 4K player. But from 
reviews I've read, apparently it is the best it's ever looked. The Blu-ray on it looks great. Uh, and apparently the soundtrack has been totally remastered, which is obviously a big part about it because it was really just kind of like also a music video for metal music. Well, there were some issues with re-releasing but it. But also, yet. yeah, I'm not much of a hair metal guy from the 80s, so that's also... So heavy metal, not for me or Mark, even though I'm sure I'll watch it in a couple years and be like, I gotta like this. I like Bernie Wrightson. Yeah, right? It's the kind of thing like I really want to like. The issue is there's like no storytelling in any of the segments. Some of them just end and you're like, I guess that's it. Like they ran out of money. Yeah, right. It just felt kind of formless, shapeless to me. But, you know, if you're a fan of this movie, I think this is kind of the definitive release you're going to get of it. We've been selling tons of it, so people love this. Moving on, we have Spirit of the Air, Gremlins of the Cloud, the first film from director Alex Proyas, uh, released by Umbrella. And how come you guys are getting this now? I got this like two years ago. Yeah, weirdly enough. So, yeah, our distribution for australian titles like or our distributor supplier for it i guess they kind of started getting into the australian product game a couple years ago and there's been a couple titles that just i guess fell through the cracks for them and have only been made available to us recently this being one of them so we could always get the dvd of this from them before but for some reason the blu-ray which was always requested requested by customers was just something we could never get our hands on they just had no access to it until recently they finally put it up we got some in and it's been selling pretty well even though yeah it's been out for i guess a couple years you said before this is one of umbrellas beyond genre label releases which also did you know possession recently and a bunch of other things you know i'd never seen this film until this week uh and i love i did watch it because i love alex price big fan big fan even though i don't always i can't say his movies are great all the time but i don't know it's just something something about him i've always liked uh but i'd never gotten around to this film until uh just this week i thought it was interesting I think it works maybe more as like, you know, this is the perfect calling card film, you know? It's a very small film. It's not an action film. It's literally about, in the post-apocalypse, a guy wants to fly. That's it. It kind of sets itself up like, oh, it's going to be like another Mad Max type, like, exploitation apocalypse thing. And no, it's not really, even though it kind of feels like it's going to be from the first five minutes or so. Yeah, it's just like a weird sort of three-person drama about, yeah, a dude who wants to fly his sister and a mysterious stranger that, you know, kind of wades into their world. I'm not sure the story really worked all that well for me. And it's slow. Yeah, it's slow as molasses. And all the characters are frankly... chamber drama. Unlikable, I would say, or just like... Are just uninteresting to me. I, I couldn't say I really liked any of them. You got to give him props for the visuals of this movie alone, because this thing looks really striking. The colors, just the uh, the production design of it. A lot of the effects, or like all the effects, I believe, were done in camera. He said because it was a super low budget. I don't know. Just as like a calling card, like visual feast type movie, it really shows that Alex Proyas was like a a talent worth watching. And then yeah, and then he gave us visionary masterpieces like. Dark City. Don't critique Alex Parias, Mark. He's going to come after us. Is he really? Is he like that? Yeah. Remember that Gods of Egypt thing? When uh, I, I like Gods of Egypt. I love Gods of Egypt. He wrote like a huge like screed against critics who didn't understand what he was trying to I do. I mean, despite the obvious, you know, kind of racist elements of Gods of Egypt or the whitewashing of Gods of Egypt. 
I had a lot of fun with that movie. I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was tons. I was of watching fun. the movie a couple months ago, and I was like, "Whoa, Chadwick Boseman is in this!" Oh my god, yeah. There's so many stars. I don't know. That's just a movie to me. That's like one of those Gonzo blockbusters. It's like, how did this get made in Hollywood? But how did this get made? That obviously kind of killed his career, right? I don't think he's made anything. Oh yeah, he, his career. Yeah, dead. he's done some shorts since then, but that's like the last feature he did. But like at one point, I just remember being, you know, as a as a teen, after coming off the Crow and Dark City, just thinking he was like the director, like the cool director and then i remember irobot came out and i absolutely hated that and kind of i am not a murderer yeah, it kind of killed me on him for a while but you know I, oh i, I like irobot yeah, i just never liked that one i do have a soft spot for knowing though which i know is a terror, Ugh, knowing is terrible, terrible film but i don't know i've got i've got a soft spot for that one so moving on we have the olive trees of justice being released by kino and this is a classy film that was f- shot during the Algerian War. Yeah, apparently the f- for only French-produced film shot in Algeria during the Algerian War. And it's this week's Blind Buy! Because we're classy. And I have to ask you, Mark, an important question. Don't colonialists have it hard to? Yeah, see, this film is complicated. Now, yeah, to be up front i enjoyed this film i thought it was really well made well made kind of you know kind of mixes neorealist techniques with a sort of like dreamier french new wave kind of vibe some would say a coming of age com- vibe. it is a coming of age vibe which i know i'm not usually into but there was definitely a craft to this film that i enjoyed and i uh I enjoyed reading about the director, who is an American-born director, actually, uh, James Blue. Mostly made, like, documentaries uh, and documentaries for, like, American government organizations and went to film school in France, which is how he basically ended up doing this movie. And apparently he made this for the, like, this is made for the French government. Ooh, that explains some stuff. Well, that's the thing. So, and I read a lot of people who, like, a lot of critics who even liked the movie did mentioned that it's basically french propaganda yeah because at the end the hero of the film is like don't we all deserve a country together this is my home and the hero of the movie is a white guy well that's the thing so the whole story revolves around this like white 30 something guy who comes who grew up in algeria on like a farm basically his parents had a farm there and employed a lot of native algerians to work there and then he comes back as an older man when his father's dying and basically the algerian war is in full swing and it kind of shows how times have changed since he was a kid where it flashes back to and now where things are more contentious and it kind of like i do like how it broaches the conflict that was going on at that time but i do think it takes a bit more of a what rose tinted glasses look at it they do look and it's like oh it wasn't that good back then either but it also comes to a position of can't we all get along and it's like no get out of here france get out of here yeah because basically the the idealized state is kind of like when he's a kid and he would could get along with the algerian kids and everybody was kind of like cool but yeah he doesn't really kind of go into why that was such a problematic situation it hints at it though i think i it's it's hard to say what his intentions were because obviously james blue was an american director so he was coming at it from an even more removed perspective perhaps than even like say like a white frenchman seems like he wants to kind of interrogate it but if this was made for the french government like how far could he really go in that respect too and i mean it is only it's a short film too it's only about 80 minutes long 
so I think it kind of leans more into just sort of the sentimental coming of age stuff and like him dealing with his dying father and those memories then it really wants to get into like a battle of Algiers style like political sort of interrogation so would you recommend a blind buy on this one i'm a little on the fence because i'm glad i watched it and i think it's worth a watch for anybody interested in this kind of period of filmmaking because it did uh, and it did play i believe it can back in 1962 won an award it's one of those films oh that- it won an award at the french film festival eh Mm. I know, right? I feel like in terms of, like we were talking about the whistle at Eaton Falls, like it deserves to be preserved and seen to like add, you know, as part of film history. But I'm not sure the disc, like I don't know if you watched the disc, Justin, but the disc itself it has doesn't no special really features. Have any extras on it. It's got like nothing on it. And I feel like this is the this is the kind of movie where you want context, right? Like, I want to know all about the making of this movie. And the only way I really found out about James Blue and who he really was was that the University of Oregon, where I guess he taught, because he was a teacher at universities for afterwards, and he actually only, he didn't live very long. He died at uh, just before 50 um, in the year, in 1980 from cancer. And the Oregon Oregon University basically has like a site devoted to him and his work and everything and basically like giving him his his due as like an important American film uh, filmmaker because apparently afterwards he did a lot of projects with famous directors basically talking about film art in general and he was a pretty notable film academic past being just a filmmaker but I didn't find any of this out from the disc itself. And I feel like, where was this? Like, there's a lot of information out there on the internet, a lot of people who are devoted to basically teaching people about who he was in his career, but none of it's on this disc. I don't know. And it's like, it's a big release for Kino. Like, they put it in theaters a little bit earlier this year in New York for a run, and then they've put it out here. And it's just like, if you're going to release something like this, why not try and get some more context on it? Like, there's no... There's no commentaries or anything. I think there's like one small feature, but like there's nothing really of note on this disc. I will answer for you, Mark. No blind buy. No, Yeah. So basically, I guess I'm saying no blind buy. I would say check it out if you can. But yeah, blind buy it as a disc. Uh, I don't know. So moving on, we have My Afternoons with Marguerite, which... Did you watch this, Mark? Speaking of important French cinema, no, I didn't watch this, but I had to mention this because our man, Gerard Depardieu. Is he doing a simple Jack role in this? The cover makes it look like he is. It looks like it, right? I mean, it really looks like So this is a movie from not even that long ago, 10 years ago, although he looks, you know, just as big and bulky as he looks now, haggard. And you're right. He definitely, I'm just seeing a bit of the trailer here on IMDb as it's coming up. He really looks like he's pulling a simple Jack routine. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. See, he plays a semi-literate and lonely odd job man who bonds with a much older and well-read woman who is played by Giselle Casadesis, who I'm not actually familiar with. But um, yeah, this is like a, I don't know, a bougie-looking French drama from about a decade ago. Like the director also made a movie called Conversations with My Gardener. (laughs) Fuck that! Yeah, I'm looking at this guy's filmography, and I think I just know this guy because I've seen a lot of these movies come through the video store over the year. Like that Conversations with My Gardener, we definitely 
definitely had and like so i think this this director is kind of a uh, bougie bullshit french dramas for older people i want to say but yeah for some reason cohen media group has decided to put this on their esteemed cinema physical release line so it can be rented in libraries everywhere which is where this should live there you go right so now it's part of how could you not have a gerard depardieu film as part of film history french film history speaking of film history next up we have jackass forever (laughs) new movies so i know you are a huge fan of this but you're not necessarily a jackass head no you never like watched it as a kid or anything sorry i was reading um my uh proust and my joyce and pigeon oh, wow sorry okay <laughs> yep that's me i forgot how much of uh how born intellectual you were you're jumping in the uh shopping cart smashing together <laughs> i was a huge jackass yeah no i mean i wasn't one of those guys that tried to reenact jackass stunts although i definitely knew a lot of people who did that i was obsessed with jackass as a kid first as the show and then when the movies came out the first movie i just remembered dying to see in theaters but i couldn't get in because it was like restricted at the time and i just i couldn't get in my parents wouldn't take me and friends we could we just got turned away at the door so i had to wait for dvd but it was just like the best movie i saw that year and yeah i just just loved this and now it's back 20 years after the first movie i guess and they're all really old yeah and it's hilarious to me that like this series has gone from you know at one point just considered like the scourge of uh of pop culture and scourge of the planet basically people were calling that it was like the death of culture and now you know the new one comes out and it's like the most critically lauded film of the year you know everybody loves it comparing it to like classic buster keaton and everything and i'm like i get it where were you guys like 20 years ago if you watch this film and you're like wait why isn't johnny knoxville doing that many stunts well at the end of the movie you do see why he's old and yeah he has one stunt that he does where he gets knocked the fuck out well what the the film doesn't talk about is that he severe bra- he had severe brain damage from this and that he like uh, lost the ability to like say certain words and that he went into a really long depressive funk after it a side effect of when you have concussions is that uh, depression oh totally i mean he what his eyeball popped out of his head at one point years ago right like i he, think he only has one testicle too as well yeah like- he's he's gone through a lot and i mean yeah you can tell in this one that you're right, like there's the older crew, although not everyone's back because obviously Ryan Dunn died years ago. And Ben and Margera. They started filming with him and he got unceremoniously canned because he couldn't stay clean, you know, which is a running theme with a lot of Jackass participants who were addicts throughout the years. But, you know, Johnny Knoxville and Jeff Tremaine were like, you can do it, Bam, but you got to stay clean. And apparently he could not stay clean. But then he turned, Bam turned it into a big protracted legal dispute and it was a big deal. But yeah. Yeah, there's no Bam, there's no Ryan Dunn, and but I think everybody else is back from what I remember. But I guess they don't throw themselves into it quite as much, except for um, Aaron, uh, the guy who basically keeps getting taking like the puck in the in the cross. Yeah, he's like the, the real uh, star of this movie. He's the one that's still going for it. Everybody else, I would say a lot of the other, a lot of uh, the the other energy of it is left to the younger crew that comes on, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, I like this. I thought this was fun just revisiting these guys. I'm not sure I like it as much as, you know, previous iterations of Jackass. I, I think I still, my heart's still with like the original stuff. Um, but, you know, it was fun. I feel like, you know, for something that 
I, I do think Jackass has kind of turned into a corporate product <laughs> a bit these days. But having said that, I still have fun with it. I'm okay. How? They used to be on MTV. Like. This Jackass used to be a real like sort of rebellious kind of like faux underground type thing. On right? MTV though. Yeah, but they were always fighting against MTV. Like they, I know, they but left. they were part of their corporate masters. They talked about it, that it was a huge problem. Yeah, but now I feel like they've accepted that role more than uh, ever. Okay. Don't you think? Like it... I don't think Jackass is some underground sort of like cool piece of like. I can definitely tell you it's not an underground because it's like 30 years old and in the mainstream. I think people like to talk about it as some like sort of like rebellion against the system sort of thing, which I think at one point you could make that case. Nowadays, I think he's just they're all just kind of like Hollywood sellouts, right? Like, let's get serious, right? Like, Johnny Knoxville isn't some, like, uh, rebellious performance artist anymore. He fucking no, did he's the Dukes old. of Hazzard, you know? Like he, Yeah, but he did the Dukes of Hazzard 15 years ago. He's a Ninja Turtle, for God's sake. Like, no one thinks that he's an underground. I know. I just, maybe it's more just the rhetoric around this movie, hailing it as some sort of, like new comedy masterpiece i'm like yeah it's it's fun but you don't think the man who starred in the ringer is a wow talk about movies that would never get made today i cannot believe they made the ringer you know that that's a movie that continues to boggle my mind oh Catherine heigl brian cox yeah that was a different time i just remember the trail i've never actually seen that movie but i just remember the trailers being like just thinking they were so cringeworthy even at the time well what they talked about a lot was that like the entire cast are um you know not people that are faking it like johnny knoxville anyway oh totally and i get that but they did sell that movie completely on hey johnny knoxville is playing like you know a mental case <laughs> like okay okay so moving on we have ghost of the ozarks you know i did watch this one because i was potentially going to review it until i you know watched it and decided it what wasn't all that good but <laughs> you know i gotta mention this because it's got our boy in it who david arquette oh that's right because this was made by people that produced the documentary he was in right yeah it was actually so it's actually not that bad i know i just said it was not great but it's It's not that bad. It's an interesting like horror Western about a doctor who is black who comes to a like a post-Civil War Arkansas town to like basically start a new job there. And there are these spirit, there are these things in the woods basically that have everybody frightened in the town and things get spooky. It's filmed pretty nicely and it's got a great cast. I mean, obviously David Arquette, but you got Tim Blake Nelson in there, Angela Bettis, some cool indie actors. And you also have Phil Morris in there who is none other than Jackie Childs himself from Seinfeld, which was fun seeing him. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting little indie horror Western, if you're into that kind of thing. No. No, you're not? Aren't you into horror Westerns? Yeah, but l- listen, if they're bad, I don't really want to watch them. It's bad. So. It's just, you know, I feel like it kind of does a lot of the same things that like folk horror revivals are doing these days. The cast is all having a good time and it's... I guess it was better made than I would expect from what looks kind of like a cheapo VOD movie. Now, we also have a new Pierce Brosnan vehicle to talk about, The King's Daughter. Brand spanking new. And I told Mark, don't watch this, Mark. Did you watch it? Of course I watched it. I mean, I I threw it on in the background while I was doing like other work because... So anytime Pierce was on screen, you'd look up and be like, ooh. Yeah. Well, you didn't watch it, right? You just heard about it. Yeah. Well, you were like, oh, I hear it's really boring. And you are correct, sir. It is incredibly boring. (laughs) 
mostly because I think it's directed by Sean McNamara, who is a terrible director of family films and stuff, I think. So it doesn't have like a big throaty Brosnan because he looks so funny in all the art. The one thing I liked about this was Brosnan because, you know, he is giving it his all. Basically, he plays King Louis the... 14th i believe yeah sure um, yeah sure whatever uh and ba- who basically in this alternate fantasy world of this movie he's basically he's he's got a thirst for immortality so he captures a mermaid and he plans to use he keeps his mermaid kept in this like underground water lair thing and he he's going to use the mermaid for her life force or something but then his daughter, who she doesn't know he's his daughter because he basically like sent her to a nunnery or something when she was a kid, he brings her back and she basically becomes rebellious. She bonds with the mermaid and there's kind of this fight between them. Uh, really boring, boring stuff. But the most noteworthy thing about this is even though this movie literally just came out a couple months ago, it was filmed way back in 2014. 2014. Why is it only coming out now? I have no idea, man. That is a great question. Uh, I can't really find much info about it. It just says filmed in 2014 and remained unreleased until 2022. It must have been... Oh, yeah. So I'm looking at some of these trivia bits at IMDb. Apparently, there was just this lack of enthusiasm for the studio. It was supposed to come out in 2015 initially. Um, oh, and then apparently uh, Fan Bing Bing is in it, and she oh. got into trouble with Chinese authorities. And that hurt because I think there is Chinese money in this film, although I think it was all shot in Australia, I believe, uh, what said in the end credits. Um, but yeah, I guess. Pierce Brosnan himself wasn't enough to, you know, back the release of it. So it just kind of sat. I don't, I'm not sure why now, but you know, here it is, but it's also got William Hurt in it. Uh, it's got, maybe that means that finally the John Cena, Jackie Chan, Chinese produced film extraction will finally be able to come out. When was that one shot? I think, I mean, if you look on IMDb, it says this year and it was not shot this year. It was not. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? The King's Daughter is like 2022. Oh, brand brand new movie. But then you watch it too. And it's like, wow, everybody looks like even Pierce looks like a lot younger in this. Like clearly he's got like a hilarious, like dark flowing wig, but he still looks like way younger than he looks these days. So yeah, it's just this funny. I love movies that just sit on the shelf and then finally get released and they're trying to make it seem like it's a brand new movie, even though it's not. Yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't recommend this unless you're a hardcore Pierce head as I am myself. And now I've seen it. I checked it off the list. I saw him in all his glory. Uh, you know, he, he gulps and does the Brosnan thing a lot. And, you know, he's fun. But he's actually not – he's not really the star. It's more his daughters that this, that's the star. So speaking of being a completionist, I know that Mark loves, loves director Philip Noyce of Dead Calm Faith. <laughs> Have I said that? Have I said I love director Philip Noyce? No, you've I, never said that. I feel, I feel like maybe <laughs> I said sarcastic. that once. Yeah, I don't really like Philip Noyce um, that much. I mean, I like Dead Calm. Salt. Uh, I've never seen Salt, actually. Yeah, it's not very good. Uh, I never really liked his Jack Ryan movies. Found them kind of boring. Rabbit Proof Fence. Oh, you know what? I liked Rabbit Proof Fence. Uh, I thought that was good at the time, although I feel oh, like the Bone maybe Collector. I, that seems right up your alley. Hey, don't you love the Saint? I do not. You know the you know I do like the Saint. The Bone Collector though is such a disappointing movie. I've seen that twice now, and every time like this movie is going to be great, and it's not. It's just boring. Oh, he did Sliver too, which is also just a boring. 
like basic instinct ripoff. Yeah, Joe Esterhaus. Yeah, made it. I never liked Sliver. Yeah, so many of his movies I went into being like, oh, this is going to be great. And then it just turns out to be kind of boring. But not this one, right? The Desperate Hour? The latest movie, The Desperate Hour, is out with Naomi Watts. And, oh, it's bad. It's, it's really bad. But, you know, <laughs> it's way more fun bad than a lot of his movies. So I first saw this at TIFF last year. Um, where it went under a different title called Lakewood. <laughs> it was kind of the laughing stock of the fest. I remember people just, it was one of those gala titles. If you're not familiar with the Toronto Film Festival, they always program a few gala titles, which are just like really bad looking VOD quality, like thrillers. But there's and stuff. a star in them. That's why it's playing gala. But there's a star in them. And I think with this, it actually, it doesn't say, I don't think it's a full on Canadian production, but it was all filmed in Canada. So I think it had some sort of Canadian money in it. So that definitely helped. But yeah, it stars Naomi Watts. And it's in the tradition of those kind of like one person survival thriller type things like Buried or, you know, Phone Booth a little bit like that kind of vibe where basically you have Naomi Watts and she is the mother of two teens, one like a sullen teen boy because basically the father died in an accident the year before and the kid's really depressed about it. Anyways, she tells him to get up and go to school one day and she goes on a run out in the woods. And then while she's out on a run in the woods in this like picturesque community that she lives in, she gets a call on her cell phone saying that there has been a school shooting outbreak at her base at her son's school and that perhaps her son may indeed be the shooter. And she goes on a frantic race throughout the woods because for some reason she's lost in the woods now. Like she can't figure <laughs> her way out of the woods, even though this is like right beside her. This is apparently where she goes jogging like every morning. But now she's like suddenly lost in the woods. She's like frantically trying to call friends and like an Uber to come pick her up. But she's like, I don't know where I am. And the whole movie is basically spent with her running and calling people on the phone to try and figure out what's going on and that's basically it and then it all culminates in a hilarious twist i mean i don't want I, no spoil the twist i'm not gonna watch the movie no one's gonna watch it. and if you're a fan of like fun bad movies i would say definitely watch this movie it's so tone deaf about the school shooting stuff it's just hilarious it's all it's trying to be like really serious about school shootings in general and it's like no you're just using it as a cheap plot point but basically, her son does not turn out to be the shooter. It turns out to be another guy, just like a random guy. And she somehow manages to, through calling a cop and calling some school administrators, she gets on the phone with the school shooter in the school. Like she's like a hostage negotiator or something. She's out in the woods, lost, and she's talking directly to the school shooter and basically talking him down. And it's just eh, like... That's not much of a twist, so I'm glad I didn't watch it. One of it. the funniest things I've ever seen. Or one of the funniest things I've seen in like a movie recently. So, Do you remember, like, TIFF 2020, people were killing themselves in the street to see Halle Berry's bruised? They're like, we need tickets for Bruce! We need tickets for Bruce! Oh, my God. And that's exactly what this kind of movie is, too. It's just like... How, there's no way and then when it finally came out earlier this year they changed the title to the desperate hour and basically they just like i tried to sell it as just like oh a cool new naomi watts thriller but it got panned upon release and it's just like how did this premiere as like a gala tiff but you know that's what happens that's what always happens that's right and that's it for this week's episode of the bay street video podcast so mark 
any updates of Page Treat? Nah, same old, same old. Uh, we're still doing the same old thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can come in, you can shop. We're still keeping masks in effect because, you know, that's still For the rest necessary. of time, let's be honest. That's it. Yeah, I know, basically. It's not going to go So, anywhere. until next week, my name's Justin LeClue. And I'm Mark Hansen. Keep on buying. Keep on renting. Philip Noyce movies. <laughs> These movies and many more are available at your local video store. We've got them all, I think. I think we've got every single one. Right? They cannot we... all be out, though. You should just put those movies away. Nobody rents those. Yeah, they're mostly, like, I would say not displayed right now. So, yeah. But they're there. They're here.